0: well good morning everyone um of the pleasure this morning of being joined by mike and jane carter from rycroft rare breeds um have recently set up a a butchery business in their um on their farm good morning mike good morning jane good morning, morning
1: andrew are you both well yes thank you a bit chilly but yeah,
0: yeah it it's is cold it is cold for <laughs> day. well it's cold anyway but it's Sunday morning it's quite dreary here damp and wet and muddy as always so yeah. right so you, yeah. you guys have spent the last what 18 months on a venture of setting up your butchery service from your farm where did you start out
1: um,
0: five off the butcher. it
1: was it was bad news off the butcher that that we'd always had a dream that eventually one day we would do our own butchery on on site but it wasn't a dream that was going to happen anytime soon. However, bad news off the butcher, um last December, well, end of November, beginning of December, when he told us he didn't want to pack our produce anymore. He was happy to butcher it, but he didn't want to pack it. And uh that kind of threw a bit of a, a curveball. Yeah, it threw us a curveball a bit. Um so we had to go to the drawing board and see how we could get around that because we were already selling all of our produce direct to the public. We don't use markets for anything. Um livestock markets, I mean. So um all our produce has to be labelled appropriately for us to sell it direct to the public. We've had a we had an EHO infection a few years ago um that highlighted all the things we needed to have on the labels, what the butcher had to do, and we'd had our premises inspected for our freezer spaces, et cetera, to make sure everything was um compliant, and we had to have um uh, stock checks and cold chain and things like that, and the labels had to be right. So the fact that the butcher threw this saying that he didn't want to pack for us anymore kind of meant that we had to rethink everything and right. so it pushed
0: uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so, so I mean it was uh did you have a have you I mean the butchery that you've built I mean um I believe that's a a separate b- building or premises from your house so I mean where did you start in sourcing somewhere to even put a butchery uh well that
1: was a We'd, we'd looked around at some of the buildings and the expense to try and convert a building. We looked in the house to see if we could re-dig the kitchen to make a separate area in there, but that wasn't really feasible either. Um, and I went on, um, I was part of an AHDB WhatsApp group on direct selling and was in, invited to go on um, a two-day meet and greet kind of thing in Pontefract met a few people there and a couple of weeks later whilst lamming, I was scrolling through the whatsapp group and one of the other members actually had an old mobile butchery unit for sale he was expanding and getting an all new all all dancing and he was obviously wanting to get rid of his old unit so it was um down in oxford so I uh put Mike's arm up his back and said, can we go and have a look at it? It was a ramshackled old thing. And we went down and um, yeah, made the decision there. And then he had a chiller unit that was he was selling as well. So we decided to buy the the whole thing and uh, bring it on. We knew it would need an awful lot of work because it wasn't in good condition at all. You could basically see through the floor and yeah. So uh, we knew we needed to work on it a lot, but we kind of did that really, and then thought we'll just figure the rest out then.
0: As you went on, I mean, I'll come, I'll come back to the cold storage bit in a bit if that's all right. But um, so you've got this mobile unit back, um, and I know me and Mike had some conversations on the side, and he, sh- he showed me some pictures of the progress you made. and It does look completely different. I mean, were you guided on how to build it out from EHO, or did you? read that up yourself what drove the how you would restore this um unit into a working butchery again
2: nothing so, off nobody basically
1: no, yeah we, we struggled we came we came across a blank we, we looked online and um, there wasn't any guidance forthcoming on there so I approached ahdB again and they put us in contact with um a, a gentleman called Kevin and he was happy to go through all the regulations with regards to the paperwork side of things and the HASSAN. And it was basically just experience that told us what we needed to do for certain things in there. Like We might rebuild the floor, uh, rebuilt the walls, took everything out because it was all very dirty and old and grubby. And it was a case of trolling the internet to find the appropriate materials, speaking to people. um, Yeah, I mean, you found out the um, where to get the cladding from, from the walls. From yeah. A, friend of, yours, didn't you?
2: Yeah, a friend, friend of mine had supplied or oh, got some plastic cladding um for a washroom. So he said it's the same stuff that they use in butchers. um. <clears throat> You can get it in different thicknesses, he said, but the thicker you go, the harder it is to work with. So he advised me sticking with a two mil sheet, which we did do. Uh and then we we sourced it off from where he told me he got his from. He gave me three different places and so I weighed up the prices between the three. And then we uh we we bought it and it was delivered. And then it was a case of
1: sticking it up.
2: Sticking it up, which Which was was the joys.
1: Interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh this yeah, this the stainless steel tables then had to go back in and be rewelded, so we had to find a welder that was willing to come out to us who could do stainless steel welding. Um the the sinks needed to be changed, which at that point we'd actually made contact with the food sure. standards agency who told us the sinks had to be knee-operated. So we then had to look into sourcing how to con- convert sinks into the operated sinks um um yeah because at, at that point EHO had said it passed us over to the food standards agency um because they was classing us as a cutting plant because of our um the way we wanted to run the business was we didn't have enough stock to um Justify us having our own butchery unit, and that's where we decided to say that we we're going to do private kills for the people as well to help in concert with the FSA. By then, and they were giving us tiny, tiny snippets of information, just little, little tidbits of information, not a lot because the FSA is a service what you have to pay for. Uh, you have to pay quite a lot for, um. So they weren't going to give us advice freely. Um, but they did tell us we needed knee-operated sinks and um, we needed to have our water tested before they came to see us and that was the only thing they advice they would give us before coming to see us for our advisory visit.
0: I see so I mean I've seen the pictures of the of the butchery I mean it looks like everything's pretty much sealed so you know um, when I say sealed I mean all around the edges of the cracks and grooves and I assume that is a requirement that everything needs to be able to be washed down and sanitized to avoid cross-contamination was that a requirement or yeah
1: yeah everything even the floor had to be specially laid and up the sides of the unit like a skirting so, so it was no a bit like what there.
0: they have in hospitals yeah they sort of come yeah. the sides, so it makes the mopping easier so you don't get build up with grime in there absolutely in the
2: and it's not it stops Water ingress under under the lineup.
1: as well. Yeah, so right, every, everything had to be sealed. The floor, the ceilings, the walls. You could, if you wanted to, you could power wash the unit now completely. However, that's not really advisable with all the machinery that's now in there. No, as well. yeah,
0: I, I can imagine that's probably not advisable. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, from a keeping it clean perspective, obviously that makes it easier. So. You've got your butchery unit built. Now, obviously, with any unit, you've got, you said you had to have your water tested. But I know from what I've heard that your wastewater, you know, from cleaning down and stuff, how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah. So we, the unit that we've, we've put the unit, it's nowhere near our mains drains. So we've had to devise a system. Uh, and Mike came up with the ingenious idea of using a, an IBC tank to collect the waste. So it's, the drains are basically like you, you your normal drains, but it just drains into an IBC tank. And then when the IBC tank gets full, we then have to discharge it into the sewer.
0: Right, I see. So you, um, can, so you can put it straight out into the sewer. There's no requirement for that water to be collected by a specialist service, no?
2: No. No, because no. it, it's just the same as what goes down your sink in your kitchen.
0: Gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. So, yeah, obviously, so... And also, when you've done all your butchery, I mean, you're obviously left with bones and offcuts and bits and pieces. You know, you can't just go and burn that. So, how do you deal with that particular element?
1: We have a, a waste contract for cat two category cat two category waste, cat three, cat three waste, cat three waste, and so we have to have. Um, there is a requirement for us to have. Um, a system in place if we ever get any cat two waste, which is classed as um, any um, abscesses, that's the word, yeah. So if we cut into a piece of meat and there's an abscess in there or um, if the carcass comes from the abattoir and on, we have to inspect each carcass when it gets here from the abattoir. If we see anything that has to be cut off, that has to be put into cat two waste. So we have to have a special container for that and a dye that goes on that um, and then everything else is cat three waste which is bagged and put in containers and then the bone man as he's called comes along and collects all the waste we haven't had any cat two waste yet touch wood and um, but all the cat three waste goes off too it's basically our fallen stock man isn't yeah, it which is it, 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 quite it's a, handy
2: it's the same company
0: i um, see yeah so, so that keeps you um, compliant right so you, you've got your your butchery out built you've got all your equipment in now obviously before you yeah. can start doing that i assume you have to be signed off officially somehow
1: yeah
0: how did yeah. that process work yes.
1: oh. so um like I said, a gentleman called kevin was on board doing all our paperwork for us he was hasap um, qualified so he did all our hasap um documentations for us and guided us through the process of all the mountainous paperwork you need um, for FSA or EHO. Um, but at that point, the EHO had said, because we were gonna be classed as a cutting plant, they didn't want to know us, so they passed us over to the FSA. We had an advisory visit, which cost us nearly 500 pounds from the FSA. The lady came out, and as she, she asked us why we'd chosen to go down the FSA route. And we said, because we're a cutting plant, and she said, yes, but if you're under two tonnes of carcasses a week. a week and you have a retail element, then actually you can get passed by the EHO instead. You don't need FSA approval. So she said, are you going to do less than two tonnes a week? And I did a quick recce-up, and in order for us to get over two tonnes a week, we would have to do potentially... um seven cows, seven seven beasts, or, um, I mean, if you think a pig dead weight is usually between 80 and 100 kilos, so I would have to do 20 pigs a week, and we just haven't got the facilities. Our chiller wouldn't hold that anyway, so we knew we were very confident we would be under that two-ton. And obviously we've got the retail element because we have the website, and we've always sold, sold direct to the public. So we then contacted the EHO again, who was a little um resistant to to taking us on, but when the rules were explained, and they they agreed, and so they said, yes, right. um they came out to do a visit, and it was a two and a half hour inspection while the butchery unit was actually open. Um, and we we've it was like I felt like I was 17 years old again doing my driving test it was it was terrifying but we passed it we passed it with flying colors and yet so now we are open for business all our paperwork was checked there's a lot of paperwork um but yeah that was all checked and yeah we were given the go ahead so we find ourselves now where we are actually fully up and running (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, your, your paperwork's and things you've got like you've got your HACCPs for all your safety checks and everything like that, but well, then you've got checks that you've got to do, uh, your um tra- traceability on your carcass yeah. from arrival yeah. to what you've cut it up at to what labels have been stuck onto them products.
1: Yeah, it's it's all very much um, so the HACCP is an all an encompassing document, um, and you have critical control points highlighted in there and you have to do things in order to prove that those critical control points are being controlled so there's lots and lots of paperwork involved in that and um as well you've got on top of that you've got cleaning schedules you've got to have a six six stage cleaning schedule um you've got staff training records uh staff illness records all these kind of things have got to be and even though even if it's just me i'm still classed as staff so i've still got to fill all these things in as well maintenance records because i've got a lot of files all in one cupboard in the i can imagine
0: quite a few boxes to tick there yeah so, yeah, yeah, yeah so you've been approved and you, you mentioned earlier that you bought, bought this cold storage unit which i assume is just a chiller rather than a freezer um it's a chiller. yeah that's separate from your butchery although it's probably near it so if I was to call you up and say, look, I've got four pigs, I've booked them in at your local abattoir. Um, can you butcher them for me? Give you a butchery list. How do, how do the pigs get to you? And what's the process when they arrive? I mean, do I bring them up and put them in your chiller? Do you pick them up? Or is it have to come via a specialage haul, uh, courier, uh, not courier, you know, um, delivery yeah. service? Yeah.
1: So we, we encourage people to use um, a, a an abattoir near us because we have a um, a, they will deliver to us in a refrigerated vehicle. The, the, the carcasses have to arrive at us uh, below a certain temperature, and so we have to do a temperature check when the carcasses arrive. Obviously, in the back of your, your car, in there, as long as you've not got your heated on, you probably make it. But in the summer, it's got to be um, below a certain temperature, so we have to probe the, the meat, check each carcass and then we hang it in the chiller before then and we you know we sometimes hang it for a day or two depending on what the customer wants and then we then transfer it from the chiller which is literally right
0: next door
2: yeah obviously yeah
0: so and i assume there must be some re- requirement to check that that cooler unit is at a certain temperature all the time
1: yeah so um there's a temperature um like a thermometer built into the chiller anywhere but on regular intervals, we have to use a separate probe to make sure that the temperature registered on the chiller is actually the correct temperature that's in the that's in there anyway. But that goes with all our freezers as well. Yeah. Um, and the fridge having the butchery unit itself, we have to have a probe on it because we have to record the temperature every single day. Um, And like I say, on periodic occasions, we have to use a second probe to make sure that the reading is correct.
0: Yeah, for backup purposes. Wow.
1: So, yeah. And oh, so, then, uh, sorry, Andrew. So, it sounds
0: like you've come an awful long way. I mean, it's taken you what, a year, 18 months, is it? Something like that? Yeah. I could be wrong.
1: It's, it's been a year. It has yeah. been it's, it was just under a year when we, um, we got denied permission from the FSA because we didn't meet all the requirements. But we decided to test drive the unit itself in a couple of our own pigs, knowing that if we butchered for us, it would just be like us doing it in our kitchen and it would just be for us, not for resale. Yeah. So we we, we tested drove the unit. We had a few little technical issues that we found, so we fixed those along the way, got that sorted. And then, um like so the conversations with the EHO, we were given the go-ahead with the EHO. Um, and just to start our... Uh, we started with our own animals still, and then we got yeah. our first private a few weeks ago.
0: So, I mean, this one well, other question: With the amount of red tape there is in this country around things, I guess because it's technically classed as a mobile unit, did you have to have any kind of planning permission from the council to have it there and operate the business there, or is it just your standard food business registration that you have to do? No, we
1: um, we were visited by the planning department and were given permitted development rights to 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 have the unit there. Um, The main problem that the planning department have with farm shops is traffic. And is that going to excessively affect the the road network around you? Because obviously farms are usually up single track lanes. And is that going to cause a traffic issue? They came to us. We have a caravan park on site anyway. So we know that highways are absolutely fine with the volume of traffic going up and down our lane when we said we were only opening so many hours a week because we can't have the shop open all the time we've just not got physically not got the time in the day he was more than happy that it wasn't going to cause any traffic
0: issues
2: all right
1: and so they gave us that uh we got the planning permission like through permitted permitted development Neyland.
0: all right I see so it sounds like there's a, a few hurdles to jump through along the way there between eho your trading standards um fsa etc and planning offices to get yourself up and running you now up and running you've been running for a few months now haven't you you've got quite a reasonable yeah, amount of custom haven't you
1: yes yes we have um and we've got a repeat custom as well which is great so we've got we've got somebody bringing in some pigs to us that has already used us once so that's really really good that they've you know like the service and uh are happy and they're using those again um yeah it's 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 the labeling really that is it's a massive thing um because even when the eho came to see us they pulled me up on my labels because i hadn't got a date on them a frozen on date so i had to add that to the label um and there was an issue with mints but that was all straightened out as well um because they can be very very particular about about those labels, allergens in particular. Yeah, that's well a big thing in, these
0: days. Especially since it's a massive Natasha's challenge. law come into play, didn't it? Was that January last year? I think was it or January this yeah. year?
1: Yeah. And we have to it's the, it's how you handle allergens as well within the unit. So he wanted to know the EHO wanted to know would any of our products contain different allergens to anything else. So our burgers and sausages obviously contain a little bit of gluten from the rusk um and he wanted to know if we were doing any gluten-free because that may be a problem um and any other allergens one of our sausages does have an allergen that any other sausage doesn't have in so we have to have a schedule a protocol in place so that that is only done at the very end um and you have to be very very confident in your cleaning schedule if you are going to been working with allergens as well that is that was a big thing that was highlighted so yeah but our, our labels have all got the the ingredients lists on um and allergens have to be in bold and all this kind of thing it is it is a bit of a minefield that, the labeling
2: but so the minefield that's just changed was trading standards of now palm labeling up onto eho in our in our area in our area oh, right. uh, our HO don't understand labeling
0: all oh, right well, that's interesting i mean i mean that's one of the things isn't it depending on whether you have to go to your local council or your county council very much depends upon the county and the area that you're in and yes. i know there are differences um in scotland as, as to there are down here uh, and with i assume there are some dif- differences in wales as well mm. um, and, and Ireland, so it sounds like you come a great way, and it's been a fantastic story. And obviously, I know you both personally, and you know I've enjoyed watching your journey. If you could give, so I would, if each of you could give me one tip for our um, listeners as to take away for this experience to steer them on the right track,
2: I would definitely do do your research into everything, especially on the red tape side of things. And double double check everything because say we were forced off by EHO to FSA. There's nothing on FSA's website about you being exempt under the two ton rule. And it's only the inspector's note, but they won't inform you that till you've paid your money. Yeah. And I think I think my bit of advice
1: would be to get somebody on board to help me through it all, I don't think we would have been where we are now without uh, somebody's guidance to to just guide us along <laughs> the legislation path because there is an awful lot, an awful lot of legislation and paperwork, and um, I think without Kevin's help, I don't no. think we would have we would be where we. I would I certainly wouldn't know how to write a HACCP plan in such detail that and control points no matter how many courses I went on. Um so I think I think that would be, that, be my that, that would be well.
2: your money well spent is to get Absolutely. somebody on board that can do that side of things. You could do it yourself, but what you'll find is you will just get pulled to pieces by whether it be FSA or EHO because they would they are looking for something to pull you on. Because
1: they like, want it to be right, don't yeah, they at the
2: end yeah. of the day. But well, it's some somebody that comes can can come in and do that side of things, for you and it, and also guide you through it. Because, like, I say, Kevin did all like the HACCP side of things, but he was also then pointing us in right direction with other things that we could then pursue ourselves.
0: Mm. Yeah, right, super. Mm-hmm. Well, just want to say thank you very much for your time, especially on a Sunday morning. It's been fantastic listening to your venture along the way, and I wish you both best of luck with Rye Cross Reprieve Butchery. Thank you. Thank
1: you
2: very much, Andrew. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.